got so much feedback from your interviews with Zach and, and, and Andretti. People loved it. I mean, we got so many messages and uh, it was awesome. But we're going to have an awesome one next, right? We're closing things out the right way with a dear old friend, Michael Shank. Michael's way too formal for Ohio's finest son. So we'll just go with Mike. Look at that. Look, 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 a little bit of a flex there, Shank. Huh? Look at all the empty champagne bottles. Pretty impressive. <laughs> right behind us here. And we have, a, we have a great view of our brand new shop we just moved in two weeks ago We're out behind us here a little bit. And we're busy bees here getting ready to go to, to uh, Sebring and Daytona next week with our IndyCar and sports car program. Well, more sure. I heard that you, uh, you just recently moved. You're expanding. Yeah, we, have, we just built this great new 50,000 square foot facility and uh, we're really proud of it. My wife and I and Jim Meyer made a commitment uh, and built this building for all the people that work here and for ourselves, obviously, and uh, just takes us to a whole, a whole nother level here. Great. Well, thank you very much for being with us, Mike. And uh, Marshall, on to you. Shake, shake, shake. So we kicked this off Monday morning, 7 a.m. my time, uh, with one of your friends and partners, Michael and Reddy. And so seems fitting that here we are on Friday, the final day of the racer and epartrade.com race industry week 2021 with the man who won the Indianapolis 500 your first win in IndyCar right how crazy is that we're going to get to the racing stuff here in just a moment we're going to get to you first actually but I figured there's a bit of a, a tradition in your world when you win you celebrate you've become known worldwide for celebrating with what no, not those champagne bottles over your shoulder. Bush light. So there I figure what, what better way to kick off the final day. Uh, and I, I'll tell folks, I searched yesterday two different liquor stores and one major grocery store to find Bush light in Northern California. They don't have it. So what could I find? The rot gut of my youth, Mickey's. Mickey, uh, uh, Mickey's. Uh, Fine malt liquor. So, Mike Shank, to you, let's toast. Morning drinking. Cheers. Let's kick Cheers. off this interview properly, brother. There you go. 10 a.m. down the hatch. 7 a.m. And it's <laughs> just as bad as I remember it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and we still have the need for me to have my first bush light with you in person. So, we'll, we'll save that. that. Let's talk about Michael Shank race car driver before we get to team owner and all the things folks today might know you about for those who are, are watching they might not know that you got into this as a young i'm gonna win the indy 500 i'm gonna be the next you name it uh cel celebrated driver tell folks about where racing came into your life and how strapping that helmet on strapping the car was actually your, your first major introduction to what you're doing yeah, exactly. Um, I love them. Love that we're here. I love the PRI show. And of course, doing this round e-part trade is awesome. So I'm glad to be here. Um, racing for me was from day one. You know, when I was a kid, I could identify engine sounds, what kind of engine they were with my mom. She always told me that. And um, my dad was involved in SCCA club racing in the late 70s and 80s. Um, uh, with some local people in central Ohio. And I always went up to mid Ohio, IRP, Nelson Ledges, Road America, Blackhawk, 
um, those kind of tracks and grew up and I used to beg and beg and plead just to stuff me in the pedals and I'll clean around the pedals. And <laughs> this is, we're talking like uh, Fiat's and Triumph Spitfires and midgets and stuff like that. And uh, the minute I graduated from high school in the late eighties there, I, you know, um, I became a line mechanic at a Mazda dealership in Columbus and have made just enough money and lived with my mom and got a loan for my first race car. And um, it was a Tyga Sports 2000 car and, uh, and just completely winged it. Had no idea what I was doing, just knew that I wanted to, to drive race cars. And really what it stems from is from the Indy 500. You know, growing up the month of May, getting the Indy Star at the club in Columbus, we'd have it shipped over for the month. Watching all the news coming out of the Indy, you know, IndyCar for me was always the, the top, top rung and what, what we aspired to driving wise. And uh, so, you know, my dad made, you know, $45,000 a year. He died a long time ago, but, you know, he did everything he could, my mom and dad financially, but you're not going to get anywhere on 45 grand with a kid, mm. you know, a family of five and trying to go racing. So we found other creative ways to, to pay for my racing. And uh, mostly of it was all car preparation. So I started a prep shop, Marshall, just like you worked for back at that time in central Ohio, though, in, in this area, the central division of SCC, and started prepping cars for business people and drive my car, prep their car. And slowly that just kept evolving to really where we're at today. Um, and, and, and so did my driving. Um, I've learned a lot about driving since then. It turns out that I was only slightly above average at best. Uh, looking back on it now, although I thought I was pretty damn badass back then. Um, hey, you have you have an IndyCar start on your your resume. You yeah, I, I mention this all the time. I was there to see it, and I still blame you for taking out my driver. You, yeah, know, you didn't really. Well, but that's okay. Yeah, but you but, did at least get the IndyCar, man. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. Couldn't have been that bad. Well, no, no. Listen, I, I'm grateful for every opportunity I had. We we drove a lot of cool cars along the way. But, um, you know, it just it just wasn't for, I don't my, my brain's not wired for it. You know, I, I believe the true greats. You, you think about guys that are coming up now and even like Dixon and some of these guys, uh, Elio, how Elio handles a speedway. They have another they have another gear in their brain to manage information that I just don't have. And uh, and I, I, I figured that out after I was robbing my wife and of all the money she made outside of racing and and. It just, anyways, it was it was it was time for me to step aside, and we did in the early two thousands, and uh, it worked out pretty good. Well, I do love that we are starting out with the shout out where it belongs to the SCCA. You with the uh, Central yeah. Division out here for me with the uh, San Francisco region, uh, like you going to tracks as a kid. My father, an amateur race car driver, uh, also prepped some cars. A lot of similarities in our in our lives and my first race car that i drove was a taiga as well happened to be a formula ford instead of a sports yep. 2000 but yep uh, little did we know uh very similar timeline you and i are doing a lot of similar things except for well you're sitting there as an indy 500 winner and i'm sitting here <laughs> tapping away on a stupid keyboard but um, <laughs> let's talk about current let's talk about where you are today with a state of relaxation on your face unlike i've ever seen during the off season. That's because about six months ago, you won a little motor race called the Indianapolis 500. Now, you've been asked this a lot, the minute after you won, day after, et cetera, but I've maybe six months of separation uh, will give us some new insights. How has that win changed your life, uh, your wife and business partners, right? I mean, uh, the, the Meyer Shank racing isn't just Michael Shank, it's Mary Beth Shank as well. 
how has this win changed your life now with about six months of perspective? Uh, Jim Meyer's life, the team and such. Tell us, uh, tell us where you're at, my friend. Well, uh, you know, we always thought we were, we were good. At, you know, we always thought internally here, we're definitely good enough to win this race. But when it actually happens, there's a lot that comes right up in your face, right? And uh, it turns out it's a pretty big deal to win the race. It's the, uh, it's the gift that doesn't ever stop giving. It has completely transformed our life in many, many ways, almost all positive. Um, I'm super proud of it. Uh, it's something, even though you wear it, you, you, you almost wear it as a badge of honor, right? Mm. And, and it never falls off your body. It's, it's pinned and it's always there because people who know, know of how difficult it is. I do feel like we deserve it in so far as that we've paid our dues. We've been knocked down a million different times, a million different ways. We've had to be very creative and selective how we get here financially. Um, you know, the bottom line is that uh, with this particular win, uh, I couldn't absolutely would not have happened uh, without Jim Meyer. And I don't, I don't mean from a financial standpoint, actually, because I think financially I was scrapping for ways to get there anyways. But uh, the, the depth that he brought to this team and has brought and continues to bring will never be recorded enough for me. Uh, from, a, but, from a business knowledge standpoint yeah, or relationships? Networks, or... All that, everything you just said. But ne his, his network is so powerful and he has helped so many people along his travels in life. Like mm. I feel like I have too a little bit that they, they all want to be a part of what he's doing. And so I get to kind of lag on to that. So Liberty Media, Liberty Media owns 30% of our team now. And um, we're really proud that, you know, they won that, you know, Liberty Media owned the Atlanta Braves, you know, so they won the Indy 500 and the World Series this year. <laughs> and we're super proud that we were able to give all them a ring for our yeah. side. Wow. We, we held up our end of the deal, you know. Um, so looking back on it now without that Indy 500 win, you know, there's, it's a lot different right now. I'll be honest with you. Uh, it's a lot better now. And, uh, and we have some financial stability on us right now. And it allows us also to plan for the future with this drive for five with Elio coming up in my mind with Simon and Elio at the 500, we got two of the premier best guys at that speedway in, in live real time right now. And I think that gives us a unique opportunity uh, for our sponsors, our partners, and our OEM Honda. Let's talk about ramping up. We're going to come back to uh, the crazy Brazilian and crazy Frenchman you hired and all that kind of fun stuff. We're going to get there in a minute, but I want to talk a little bit of, or mentioning the Braves, inside baseball. So you start out in 2017. Hey, we finally made it to IndyCar, single race, Indy 500. You ramp up to six races the following year, 10 after that, full-time after that. Now... Uh, what, five years on or so, you're going to be two cars full-time in IndyCar. Tell us about the process of ramping up, finding people, right? The folks that were looking after the second car, Elio's car, the 06 Honda last year, those weren't necessarily all full-timers. Um, tell us about expanding your own team, full-time folks, engineering staff, Andretti Autosport, Technical Alliance, how you integrate them, uh, engineering group you're going to put around both drivers. Tell us about that because that's not easy. There aren't a line of folks out the door waiting to be hired. The entire IndyCar paddock is scrambling to hire engineers, mechanics, you name it. Tell us about ramping up. 
it's been tricky. And, and that's a great question. You know, the, the whole, the whole industry, in my opinion, right now, the racing industry, specifically what I know, which is sports cars and Indy cars is just absolutely booming right now. So it is an employee's market right now, lots of opportunity. So what we try to do and how we stand apart, you know, and it can be counted both ways. We're in Columbus, Ohio. We're not in Indianapolis. We're not in Charlotte. We're very one of the very few mid-sized teams that are at the two hubs right now that can work for us and against us. It's proving tricky a little bit because we got to get people here or train them up from here, which is the route that we are going actually. Mm. So we're trying to we're trying we're trying a different we're we're trying a find the right people that we think we can train or are trainable with the right right work ethic with the right desire to go racing. You know, we have to get very creative these days to get the proper people in here. Of course, we got to treat them better than everybody else. And uh, and I focus every day of my life to try to treat my people better than other people do. Now, we don't always succeed, but it's a real challenge. And that's the number one thing. We have a product. I want to go racing a certain way, Marshall. And this is how I want to go. Right? This is how I see it. The right or wrong, this is how I see it, right? And how many people can I get to buy into that? which is maybe a little different than the old school way and some similar in other ways, but we want to try to create this. And, and my competition director on the, on the IndyCar side is a guy named Adam Rovazzini. He's in his thirties. He's been with uh, you know big groups for the last 15, 20 years. And he and I are trying to take, you know, the best of all that we've seen and put it that this place and promote that this is a great place to work. Everybody does the same thing. We're all trying to do it, but, uh, it's it's proven very tricky because once our product, if our product doesn't stay at this level, meaning engineering, the way we look, the results we get, we will instantly lose all this momentum that we have. So we really emphasize that. Adam's a uh, Adam's a good man, a smart man. By the way, that wasn't just a sip to start the show. I'm determined to You're keep polish going. off this right. 24 ounces of nastiness. That's worse than this, I guarantee it. Oh. Trust me, in my in my very early twenties, with uh, about two dollars a day to live, uh, it was Mickey's and uh, uh, Fire Cheetos. So, Jeez. a little bit of a callback here for me. Um, let's talk about the Andretti Autosport relationship, Mike. That's been a powerful one. That's been something that I got to tell you from the phone calls I receive from team owners wanting to be the next Meyer Shank Racing. Uh, or Andretti Autosport, Chip Ganassi, and so on. This technical alliance that you have created is one that a lot of other team owners would love to have, whether they're Honda, Honda or uh, Chevy with a bigger team to help them step up, become more powerful instantly. Tell me about how this process is coming along as you are now expanding to two full-time cars. If we think of it from a satellite standpoint, Andretti has their four full-timers. You're going to be adding two drivers to that and their engineering meetings and such. Tell us the, the status of this relationship. Uh, have you also decided who's going to be your engineers for the 06 car and the 60 car next year with Simon and Elio? Uh, this is an important thing you're doing, but not many others have, have been able to find similar deals. Well, let, let me just say, you know, in my mind, um, I think it is the modern, modern way to break into IndyCar racing. And, and have the best opportunity to look the best you possibly can, meaning get results. I really believe that. To go out on your own. These teams have had this car for 10 years, Marshall, more or less. Mm. And it, it's an evolving thing. I get that. But the, 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 the gains we make now are just tiny. You know, for us to expect that we would 
parachute into that eight years in or seven years in whenever we came in and expect to be competitive against them, even with the best driver in the world is nonsense. It's not possible. Right. So we felt like, you know, we started with Schmidt Peterson at the time. Right. And we had a good two years with them. We were very happy. We were very budget limited during that time. And, uh, but we learned a lot. We set a lot of uh, the way that we do things today was set during that period. Uh, we switched over to Andretti, uh, uh, the Andretti group with Michael and those guys, and and it's been very good. So we've been two years with them. We just signed another two-year deal, so we're this year in 23 with them going forward. Um, it's been very, very good. Now, let's you, it's easy to say that when you win the Indy 500 with them, but let's take that to the side for a minute. Just the way that, you know, Rob Edwards kind of runs that thing and shares information with us, everything they said they would do, they've done. And then some, and it's been awesome. It's been really, really good. That doesn't mean someday we don't do it on our own when it, if it's, when it's right, but um, we think it's the best of both worlds. Uh, now keep in mind, it's, you know, it's 80% MSR people, right? Yep. And even some of our engineers are on the project. Uh, they supplement the race engineer, the top level uh, as part of our deal, but we get the, the guys that have been with us from them, they feel a part of MSR. And that's what I want them to feel. They, they are a part of, they are, yes, they're, they're an Andretti stable, but you know, they're with us when they're with us and we get complete buy-in from that. Next year is a little different because we're going to have two full-time cars with this deal. And that was a, a negotiating thing that I had to work with Michael and JF and, and uh, Rob Edwards on because it's a bandwidth thing too. How much people do we all have and how can we make this all work? And we came to terms with that. And I'm happy with that. Um, we have new engineers. Uh, we have a new engineer. Uh, Grant uh, Garrett Mothershead is with uh, Simon. And uh, Mark Bryant will stay with Elio for next year. And uh, both very experienced. Both put a lot of time in around the paddock, know the game. Um, but I can tell you for, you know, for two months now, we've been working nonstop in the background trying to get that process started. And it all begins uh, Monday, this coming Monday, when we go to Sebring and, we, and we're going to talk about this. I know we're going to we're going to test uh, Nick DeVries. So but that group, all of my guys are coming for that one car just to get everybody's, you know, motions moving forward again. You know, we're going to talk about Nick for sure, Shane, because that is when I learned about that. I was like, OK, this man is aiming high here. Yeah, Let's you know, talk. yeah. Well, I'll, why don't we come back to Nick in just a moment? Why don't we yeah. get to uh, the, the two nut jobs that you have full time, at least right now? Yeah, yeah. Elio, I mean, we know so much about him, right? He's been a part of our universe for decades now. I was fortunate to work with him a long, long time ago. Tell me what he brings, the tangibles, the intangibles that he brings to Meyer Shank Racing, the stuff that I don't know if I want to say you didn't have before, but now that he's come in, obviously won a fairly important race, some folks might have heard of, but uh, what has he brought to you, the tangibles and intangibles to improve Meyer Shank racing? And I'll ask that about Simon in a moment. Well, they both cut from the same exact cloth, so I could answer one for the other, pretty much, at least my thought on why we did it. And, and you and I have talked about different different shows of yours we've talked about it we had to make a choice when we knew we had the deal to run elio do we want to go with youth and inexperience or less experience or do we want to go with the guy we think could win the indy 500 for us we obviously and that was the real conversation at the time obviously it worked out and we looked like rock stars but 
but it's, it's so much more than that. That's just the experience part is great. And he knows exactly what he wants, especially at the speedway. He knows exactly in what kinks it needs to come in. And uh, if you give him that, then just stand back and just get your pit stops right. Because otherwise mm -hmm. he's going to be at the front. But it's beyond that. If you, if you just look at how Elio treats people, anybody, how he treats me, my wife, our family, our, you know, all the folks here and their family, how he interacts with our partners, how his willingness to do whatever it takes on the business side to make sure we accomplish all of our deliverables for our partners. It's, it's next level on Elio. And, and by the way, Simon's the same way. Just Elio delivers it in a different way, a little more animated. That's all. But they both are, they both understand the business side of this is what's keeping us all alive. Uh, and, and it has to be prioritized. And both of them, by the way, you can argue they weren't quite ready to be totally done with this. And so they have a little chip on their shoulder. And, and I can't, it's hard to buy that. And they want to prove that they deserve to be here still. And, uh, and we want a part of that. We want to be a part of that. Let's talk a little bit about Pagano, someone who prior to going to Team Penske was definitely seen as a future champion when he was with Schmidt Hamilton Motorsports slash Schmidt Peterson Motorsports. Went to Penske, didn't necessarily have a great start there, rebounded the second year, won the championship, had some ups and downs, won the Indy 500 in 2019. Bit of a fluctuating time with, in theory, one of the two biggest teams in IndyCar, more resources, more anything, more everything than anybody else. I do love the idea, Mike, of him leaving Penske and going back to a team that isn't as large, can definitely receive more of his experience and insights, maybe have a bigger influence on the overall organization, because at least at uh, Schmidt-Peterson, Schmidt-Hamilton, that's where we saw the best of him, uh, fully invested in all areas possible. Are you receiving that yet from him? Not a guy who just wants to drive the car and then go home, but get his fingers into every aspect of how to make Marshank racing better? Absolutely. At times 10, times 10. He is, he is a hundred percent bought in. He is, uh, he, he, you know, he, he's done everything I would expect and more. He's, uh, on the ball. He's working with my guys to make sure he gets exactly what, what he wants out of the car. And that comes from a little Schmidt Pearson, a little Penske, everything he's involved sitting in this tub and being comfortable in the pedals he likes and the wheel he likes. We're giving him every single thing he wants. We're also building the relationship between um, uh, between him and Garrett now too, because that's a new product. You know, you know this, but he's been with Ben for ten years. I know. Seasons. I mean, this is like a huge marriage in my opinion. In my opinion, you know, they um, had to figure out, you know, who get, who gets silverware, uh, who gets the dog. Obviously, Simon's going to get the dog, but yeah, it, it's a bit of a unexpected divorce of source not that there's anything bad that happened between ben brexman and simon but they have been together for so long that the idea of him having to start from scratch with a race engineer is a little crazy but garrett mother said good lord uh you're not going to find a guy in the paddock who other engineers respect more than garrett so that's a great move but to your point uh this is a driver who also somewhat like a race engineer, big brain, wants to know everything on the technical side. And here's a race engineer who's worked with everybody, 
rookies to veterans, won the Indy 500. I love this alignment here too, Mark. I, I just, these two guys fit my world, which is, you know, a little bit of the underdog swinging as hard as they can upwards. Uh, they're hungry. Uh, even Garrett, you know, Garrett's had a couple of tough, not great seasons and he wants to be back on top. So I got a guy, I got a drive from the engineers. Mark Bryant's coming back from doing Indy lights full-time to IndyCar when he, he wants to get in and prove his point. We got a bunch of people that want to be here and that want to prove that they deserve to be here at a high, high level. And I like those odds for us. Now you and I can have this conversation in October and see how it ends up. But, um, you know, we, you know, when I look back on, you know, we're, we're still talking IndyCar here, obviously. When I look back on our IndyCar season, there's a couple of times this year that MSR, you know, let Jack down. And, and, it, and it, it crushes me that it happened that way. Um, but, you know, we got to learn. We, we try to learn from those things desperately. And, um, and, and by the way, the new drivers know what our downfalls were this year. You know, we try to, you know, and, and, and Elliot was part of a couple little issues too that, you know, so we all have to deal with these, these things that happen in racing that no one can, can get rid of totally and how to react and how do we respond to that. And um, I, th I just feel like we got a bunch of people that want to be here in the right place for what they're at in their life. And, you know, let's see what it brings us. Except for Matt Swan, but that's always a, a topic that we can. Yeah, do that's, that's a problem for you, I think. Yeah, that's a that's a charity hire, but we do appreciate that. Keeps them off the streets. Uh, we'll stick with IndyCar for a little bit longer, Mike, and we'll move to <clears throat> move to IMSA. Spoke about Nick DeVries, reigning Formula E champion. I got to admit, I don't give a fart about that. That kid should be driving for Mercedes, Ferrari, McLaren F1. He is a bad ass. Yep. When I learned that he's going to be testing for you compared to about 50 other names I might have heard, I said, Shank is swinging for the fences here. Now, Nick is obligated this coming season to Formula E, one more year there. So he's right. not, uh, not available uh, to drive right now. But tell me about the decision here, because I'm not sure how this might be received by your brand new full-time drivers in these two entries one being elio one being simon both veterans of the sport achieved everything hey by the way we're going to sebring we're going to test a young gun who could be coming for your jobs uh you're letting a, a rabid animal into the building that wants to be in one of those cars i'm sure tell me about the mindset behind this test is this you trying to look to the future is this you put a little pressure on the two veterans to know that, hey, I'm not I'm not just sitting here hoping and waiting. I am looking uh, ahead. Could there be other drivers that you test? Well, who said I wouldn't run three cars? That's the answer I was trying to get out of you, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, this you pretty much got it, though. Uh, th this move is a preemptive move just to see how we all get along, to see if he, you know, how he gets along. You know, this car... I think a Grosjean called it a steering monster or something like that. These, these things are tough to drive, man. And uh, let's see how that interaction goes uh, between us and him. Uh, who I could use him on the sports car program, potentially. He's, he's an awesome sports car driver, too. It's just a, in general, let's see what he can do. It is of no threat to anybody that's on this team right now driving race cars. Um, and, and everybody acknowledged that. It, it, it didn't even come to my brain, to be honest with you. But uh, we do we do want to keep our 
finger on the pulse of what's happening and who is coming up the ranks. It's, this test on Monday, Marshall, is turning into this little F2 battle. I know. I love it. Well, I just saw the last guy. I just lost his name. I'm sorry. but um, uh, Jack Aiken. Aiken. Yeah, Aiken's going to come. So, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting day and kind of like a mini race, I'm assuming, you know. So I uh, look forward to that. But there's, listen, you know, Simon and Elio are pros. They've been down this road a million times, right? And uh, we all got to perform, though, too, at the same time. And they know that. If you like what you see with Nick, any chance you think later in the year of a, of a third car coming out, uh, maybe after the Formula E season, any are you thinking that far ahead yet or any possibilities if you want to yeah. actually get on track and get a feel? I don't I don't see I see another test potentially for sure, hmm. but I don't see I don't see a, a race just from a, an equipment and a scheduling, his scheduling. You know, he's a reserve. You know, he sits right next to Toto Wolf and all the broadcasts. You see him standing there. You know, he's reserved for Lewis and the other car. And, uh, and he's reserved for Toyota uh, prototype. And he's got a W2, uh, P2 ride in WEC. So he's got a lot going on. Um, but this this opens the book, right? Now we can take a look and see how some of these guys react to the IndyCar that come from F2. I was impressed with um, the guy that Ray Hall ran. Uh, at Lundgaard. Lundgaard, yep. I thought he did a hell of a job considering this car is really difficult and I'm, I can see why they signed him. Um, so, you know, time will tell, but this is the direction we're going, the trajectory we're going. Let's talk about Liberty media, Mike, uh, talk about a surprise, but also impressive uh, alignment with Liberty media buying into the team. What role do they play? What do they do for y'all? It's, it's great to have an investor, but money doesn't get you all the way to uh, to victories and such. What do they do that folks don't know about that help you? There's they're 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 pretty active actually, and they're 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 incredible people. I well, yes. So first of all, it gives us a very very sound financial base. It also gives us potential opportunities to their network of things, whatever that may look like. I, I don't even I, I can't even predict what that would look like, but it it does show its head once in a while when uh, we try to I try to help them. They're working on a million different projects in our in our world, Marshall. It would blow your mind if you knew them all, okay? And, and anywhere I can help and with what they're doing, um, you know, I try to help them with my network. And it's just, it's just they're in the racing business, they're in their entertainment business, and they're trying to figure out ways to expand that footprint, right? And only the way they know how to do. And uh, it's awesome. And uh, I don't know where that relationship will go ultimately, uh, but I want to be a part of it. And I know, and this is part of that thing that Jim Meyer brought to the table was Liberty. And uh, they were all at the 500, including uh, Greg Maffei, who is the president and chairman uh, of the company, and got to ride up the elevator at the 500, which is an awesome experience. And then again, they won the World Series, which was uh, huge for them also. A couple more inside baseball IndyCar things before we move on to IMSA, Mike. So not so long ago, uh, October, I believe your team was part of uh, IndyCar's or Firestone's running at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. IndyCar asked uh, your team there with Elio to give some feedback on simulation of the 2023 car, added about 120 pounds of ballast, turned up the boost a bit, wanted to get some feedback. I know that I have spoken to all four drivers, two at Indy, two at Mid-Ohio that have tested with this ballast and whatnot, they have all said, get us a new car now. Uh, we are at, at a tipping point with weight. Uh, 
being way too high, almost sports car level. Uh, the the vehicular dynamics are, are wacky, wacky with all this extra weight now. Any thoughts there? Uh, I know that new engine, hybrid engine package is coming in 2023. IndyCar has said without giving a definitive date, 24, 2025, maybe a new chassis. Having been part of that test, having heard the feedback from Elio and maybe others, any thoughts? If you could fast track a new chassis, would you push for that? Or are you good with the timeline that we have right now? Uh, I, I'm really torn on this. Uh, on one hand, I really appreciate what Jay Fry has done with the spreading out of cost for these, these chassis and cars. It, I can't tell you how much it helps the more we use the main car, the spine itself. It just, it just helps financially so much cars per, per driver every year, you know? So the economics of it are awesome. I mean, like it really makes a group like mine, especially starting like when we first started a few years ago, makes sense. And I, and I, and I applaud Jay a million times over, but there is a but. The but is this car weighs nearly 2000 pounds now in hybrid form. Um, it's 10 or 11, 12 seasons old by the time we get to there. I understand what the drivers are saying. And I think it's going to be time fairly soon that we all take the bullet and get to a car that's optimized for these systems and not scabbed onto. We're, we're rapidly approaching that, Marshall. Now, that's not good news for people thinking about getting an in-car right now, because the later they get in, the worse the financial model gets as spreading asset costs over time. Uh, for us, we're in it deep enough now. We own four chassis, plus we have a pit stop car. Um, it won't be fun. It will be painful, but it's also rapidly approaching the time we must think about. And by the way, one of the great things that Jake Fry does is he allows some costs, and I don't want to get into how it happens, but some costs get spread across a period of time. Which also helps teams. It's extremely helpful, and they did that when the DW12 came out. Just fruit from Jay, uh, but also I get what the drivers are saying. And having spent, you know, I picked up that chunk of multiple chunks of lead that went into our car. I mean, it's 120 pounds, like a body running around in the back end of the car. You know, like a human, <laughs> and um, it's it, it's it's heavy. It's the car's heavy. So listen, we all have the same heavy bullet. Uh, the safety stuff that we have, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't trade a nickel for. I mean, I just would never trade that uh, screen. And, and when we've done that, that has been awesome. But at some point, we got to probably think about it. By the way, I think you have multiple employees streaming Netflix, Hulu, something at like 4K UHD because they're sapping up all your uh, your internet bandwidth here. But that's okay. We still love you. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm no, sorry. No, it's not your fault. I'm just saying. You, you know. They see the bosses uh, distracted for an hour, so they're off in the break room uh, streaming everything they can and pulling yeah. down the uh, good old internet service here. Um, one or two more things here on IndyCar, Mike. You mentioned costs and value. One of the things I've been discussing, spoke with Michael Andretti about this, Zach Brown earlier this, this week, and that is value. You own an IndyCar team. What is that worth? Is it a commodity? Is it something you could readily sell, or is it something you could borrow upon different than back in the cart era champ cart era where we had franchises you actually bought into something 
that had a, a known value, a tradable commodity almost. Any thoughts on whether that's a direction for IndyCar to consider so that whether you want to sell a part of Meyershank Racing, uh, an entry among the many entries you have, someone else wants to get in, they know what the, the, the buy-in price is, something that makes things a little bit more of being a stakeholder in the series than just kind of an unaffiliated business person with no real uh, definable value to what you have. Any thoughts on how we might turn IndyCar teams in, into something that, again, are real assets that have a known value? Uh, listen, I'm, I'm 100% for this. Um, I just, you know, I, and, and I'm really good friends with Justin Marks. And just to hear what he's gone through buying the Ganassi deal out and, and the, the value of franchises over there, charters, they call them over there. You know, I just, you know, Denny Hamlin just admitted to paying 13 and a half million for his charter for his, for Kurt Busch's car. I mean, that is unbelievable. That's four X, three X of what they started out at. And that's a true model that lots of people can get their head around. So I don't know how, you know, I know that Roger Penske has talked about it. Uh, it's in the a discussion point. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I can tell you that uh, we would support it. And uh, we like that idea. We, we have invested millions and millions of dollars here. And uh, theoretically, you know, all we have really are assets here. And uh, that does grow by a year. But uh, to have a tangible, as you say, asset uh, as a franchise could change the whole dynamic of IndyCar racing to the good, to the good. Well, as a multi-hundredaire, I, I harbor a dream of investing into Meyer Shank racing. So <laughs> Maybe one day I could own 0.01%. I don't know if it becomes Meyer Shank Pruitt Racing. It kind of kind of messes up the flow of MSR, but I harbor it. That's all right. So That's all right. Let's, I love let's, the idea. I love it. So, Well, let's close uh, on IndyCar on this. You are a man who understands the business side more than I would say almost any of the, the longstanding team owners. Most of those you're trying to beat uh, to the checkered flag, billionaires, hundreds of millionaires, been doing this for a long time. None of, again, none of that's bad, but you are truly, you and your wife uh, are folks who started with nothing and worked their way up, mortgaged the house multiple times. You feel the business side, and therefore I know you are always giving input to Roger Penske, Jay Fry, and whatnot, how to improve things, how to make things better for you, how to make your business stronger through the decisions IndyCar makes. Had a good season. Right. There's been IndyCar on the rise. TV numbers are up a bit. A lot of things feel like they're better. But what's the next step? What's the next? Hey, let's work on this to make things better type suggestions you're offering to RP and J and whatnot, because I know you've got your pulse on that at all times. Yeah, and I'm sorry about my Internet connection. It's a new new construction here. Um, uh, I am. I'm continually bringing things as much as I can to my opinion on things and why they and how they affect us directly. Uh, my thoughts on open dampers and IndyCar, my thoughts on fees and IMSA. I share everything I possibly can with these guys. I think Jay, Jay came from where I sit today, Jay Fry. Uh, he understands our perspective from an owner's standpoint, what's important. That's why he pushes so hard just to not bring new cars in very often. You know, he understands that commitment. He understands cash flow. To me, cash flow is everything. Every month is, is every month matters to me, right? And so how that affects our cash flow. Price increases or unknown price increases 
uh, are a killer in our business, meaning one of the suppliers decide they need to do an increase, which they're, they're allowed to by their contract, but it kind of gets laid on us at the last minute. And, you know, now we have to deal with it post our budgets being done. Okay. Which happens a lot, unfortunately, on both sides of the aisle here. Uh, it can happen anyways, but you know, it, it it's a delicate line, Marshall, because a lot of appreciation for what the sanctioning bodies do, but I'm also trying to not lose money. <laughs> I'm a small business in America, right? And, and so I have to get my point across uh, what things help us, what things hurt us. And most of the, most of the thing these, everybody knows, they know we're all dealing with this, the same issues. It's just, you know, they, they just get in my position and how am I going to do a if I have to update all my cars, you know, how does that affect my, you know, how am I planning for that? Uh, or fees are going to change. Entry fees are going to change. I need to know that a year before they change so I can plan for it. I'm giving examples, you know, so. Why don't we move to, uh, to IMSA, my friend, because we could spend at least another hour talking about sports cars. It's a rough first year you brother with the uh Acura ARX05 DPI program you're not someone who sits well with missing targets and expectations it wasn't terrible but if you're not winning routinely you're not going home feeling satisfied tell me about this past year moving up from GTD with Acura running the NSX uh, GT3 and GTD. Tell me about moving back to prototype uh, class type of racing you're super familiar with, very successful in. Have you been able to pinpoint some of the things about 2021 with this accurate prototype that didn't exactly live up to expectations to pivot from that and get to 2022 and get back to a place you're more comfortable with and winning? Yeah, you know, admittedly, a tough year. Totally don't run from that. Uh, hate disappointing anybody, especially John Acada at Acura and HPD, uh, for sure. Now, we've had a couple, you know, we have several really good years with Acura, so we have a, a little bit of credit build up. But the bottom line is, is that we have to produce every time we go out. And when we don't, you know, we have a problem. So I we know that. Now, specifically, our problems really stemmed from not, not, not totally being up to speed with the current DPI cars and the way they, their aerodynamic aerodynamics are and the right control programs are. And I changed a lot since 2016, the last time we were in there with Liget. And, um, and it's just expanded and gotten better and different and all kinds of things. Also, the way we race in prototype has changed a lot since we were there. So the first, though, I break it down into two, you know, the first 